Choose to be holy, set apart for you, my master, ready to do your will. Refiner's fire, my I'm John Collier, and on behalf of the elders, I'd like to welcome you to our first service this morning. Thank you for choosing to worship with us. Visitors, we're especially thankful that you're here with us this morning. And if you wouldn't mind, we'd love it if you would take out one of the cards in the pew in front of you and using the camera app on your phone, scan that QR code and fill in your information, and that way we'll have a record of your visit with us this morning. Alternatively, you can fill it out manually. If this is your first time here, you can fill it out manually. After services, take it back to the Information Center, and we have a free gift for you that I think you'll really like. So uh, I would encourage you to do that this morning. Members, you can either scan that QR code as well, or you can uh, text the word check-in to the usual number that we use each week. You guys have all, again, proven what an amazingly generous congregation you are. Last Sunday's Fajita fundraiser, raised over $12,000. So thank you very much for uh, showing our youth how much we love them and how much we value their mission experiences as they share the word of Christ around the world. Thank you so much. So you've been seeing lots of hype about our upcoming 50th anniversary. 
And there'll be lots of information in the upcoming bulletins and emails through the future couple of weeks. But just in a nutshell, let me hit the highlights. It is Sunday, March 27th. We'll be having one service, one service starting at 10 o'clock. Get to sleep in. The nursery and children's church will be held as usual. But beyond those two, no other classes, uh, Bible classes will be held. And immediately following the single service, we're going to have a large catered lunch in Fellowship Hall parking lot, um, free lunch for all that are here. Um, so, so be sure and spread the word to former members, those that you stay in contact with. Let them know we'd love to have as many people as we can uh, at this wonderful event. We're expecting a great turnout, and we plan to have a wonderful day of worship and a wonderful celebration of the 50 years, the way God has tremendously blessed us at this congregation. And we'll even be sharing a bit of our vision and what we can expect for the next 50 years. I know many of us have been in fervent prayer for the Ukraine. Um, the elders have been in discussion about how to best collect funds and where to provide those. Um, by next Sunday, we're going to be taking up a special collection. But we wanted to make sure, uh, with so much in flux right now, we, make, we wanted to make sure we knew the best um, avenues to and through to contribute those funds. So be prepared next week as we make this decision this week of where to provide those funds. Be prepared next week to make a contribution as you see fit for the needs in the Ukraine. As we continue into our worship this morning, I'd like to read Matthew 28, verses 17 to 19, to help us prepare our minds for our lesson this morning on, on sharing God's word with others. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Please pray with me. Father, what a, what a blessing it is for all of us here to gather together this morning in your name to worship you and to know that you are in our midst at this very moment. Father, help us to honor you with our worship in a manner that is in accordance with your will. Father, the war in Ukraine is heavy on so many of our hearts right now, and I, I pray for your intercession in this situation to change the hearts of those making poor decisions that you will soften their hearts and, and guide their actions and that this terrible situation will be ended quickly. I especially pray for those individuals personally affected by this war, for their protection and for their continued faith and trust in you, Father. I pray for safety and for courage for those men and women that are having to take up arms and fight. I pray for the many families that are being split up as many are leaving the country to seek safety in neighboring countries. I pray for those that have chosen to stay in the country to selflessly serve and care for others that have these needs. Father, may your peace sweep over all of them and comfort them. And may they never lose faith in you, Father. As you have 
demonstrated so many times in the Old Testament. We know, Father, that you can cause wars, you can affect wars, and that you can end wars. And we earnestly seek, Father, your intervention to end this situation quickly. And Father, I thank you for Jesus, our Savior, once and for all time. And I pray all these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. Let the king of my be the mountain where I
As we enter into this time of communion, we're going to sing one more song, and then David Peeler is going to come and lead us this morning around the bread and around the cup. morning. Gordon, last Sunday you uh, triggered a thought in my mind. At my age, that's hard to do, so I want to compliment you for having done so. <laughs> you made reference to the fact that you used to see in a lot of churches a table that would say, do this in remembrance of me. During my life, I was blessed with wonderful parents, but I've also been blessed with wonderful grandparents, both on my father and my mother's side. One of those grandparents, my grandfather, took me on a few trips with him, which were day trips, where we would set about from where we lived in Oak Cliff, and we would walk to downtown across bridges that were called viaducts. You don't remember those, a lot of you. But we would walk to downtown, and we'd spend part of the day there looking around and so forth, and then I'm going to attribute it he was saying that he was going to do me a treat, but I think maybe he was tired. Uh, we would ride the streetcar back to where we had started. And that was near where we went to church. And on one of those occasions, 
when we got back there and I saw the church, I said to him, I said, I have a question. Now, this has been over 70 years ago. I have a question, and that question is, why does it say, do this in remembrance of me? What's, I have the general idea, but I'd like for you to tell me more about that. And he said, well, it's going to take more than us just talking here for a few minutes. Give me a few days. <clears throat> Excuse me. In a few days, well, I got, a, I got a couple of slips of paper from him or a couple of sheets of paper from him. And in those sheets of paper, he had written on there scriptural references as to the fact that man had separated himself from God through sin. And then I got down to the verse where it says, as you all know it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that was a very encouraging thing uh, for me to, to uh, look at. I kind of will make this a little bit shorter now. And we... Um, I, I thought about some of the things that were on the sheet, and one of them was after Jesus had come and he went to, near the time of his death, he went to the mountain at Gethsemane in an olive grove, and he prayed three times that he not have to pay the price for our sins in the way he was going to have to. God was silent, and he knew that he had to do that, and he was certainly glad to acquiesce to what God wanted. Short time later, he met with his disciples in an upper room, and we know the story of the first communion service, or the first memorial feast, and in that he told his disciples, after giving them the bread and the cup, to do that in remembrance of him. One of the things that my grandfather gave me at the end was a, a song. And let me read these words because uh, I take, took great encouragement from that. Why did my Savior come to earth and to the humble go? Why did he choose a lowly birth? Because... He loved me so. Why did he drink the bitter cup of sorrow, pain, and woe? Why on the cross be lifted up? Because he loved me so. And now he bids me look and live. His grace and power to know a home of glory he will give because he loved me so. Till Jesus comes, I'll sing his praise, and then to glory go, and reign with him through endless days, because he loved me so. That expresses it all pretty well. It's because God loved us that he sent his son. It's because God, Jesus loved us, that he gave his life. And it, now it's because he commanded us and we love him 
that we take part in this service. Would y'all bow with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we are so, so thankful that you've loved us so much and that you're willing to give your Son as a sacrifice for our sins. We're thankful to Jesus that he gave that sacrifice that he looked into the death that was going to carry the sins of all the world and gladly gave his life for us. Be with us now as we participate in this service. Bless our taking of the bread which commemorates his body. In Christ's name, amen. Let me urge all of you as parents and grandparents to share the same message with your children and grandchildren that my grandfather shared with me. Let's bow. Our Father in heaven, we again are so, so thankful for your love. Though we were undeserving, you provided an avenue for our salvation, and you did it out of love. We hope that we have the same love and reverence in our thoughts as we continue in this service. Bless this fruit of the vine, which so aptly represents Christ's blood that cleanses us day after day. In Christ's name, amen.
Good morning. Welcome. It's good to see you guys here. Um, so many good things happening through this church, in this church. We're grateful and we give all the glory to God for that. We'll highlight this morning in just a moment on a video some of the benevolence work, uh, behind the scenes, quiet, beautiful work that goes on to help just a lot of folks who are passing through a difficult season of life. And I'm grateful for our team of folks here at Preston Crest that lovingly and generously uh, use their time and their effort to help and for all of us who give to help as well. Obviously, Ukraine on our hearts. We've already prayed for them and we will pray again for them. Let's bow our heads. God, uh, we love you so much and uh, our hearts just break right now with images and stories and some of us here have good friends in the Ukraine right now and we're just... Lord, I don't know that my faith is up to the task, but I just ask for a miracle. I know you're capable of doing remarkable things, God. I pray that you'll end the killing and violence, that you'll protect people in that country, that you'll restore their order and their freedom. God, I thank you so much for the ongoing, quiet, behind-the-scenes work of helping people. Sometimes when they are at one of the darkest moments of their lives, one of the most challenging moments of their lives, helping them. And I pray that you'll continue every week to use this church to do just that, to care for people made in your image so that we can share your love with people. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. church family. I'm Kirk Ellison. Part of your giving each week goes to the good works of this church in the form of member and community benevolence. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6 to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There are members of our church family and of our community that are hurting, that are dealing with burdens they can't handle, financial, physical, emotional burdens. Some are on the verge of losing hope, losing home, and are in despair. It's through your giving each week that the Preston Crest Benevolence Ministry exhibits Christ-like compassion to the best of its abilities through prayerful requests to be good stewards, prayerful requests to share the good news of the hope that is in Jesus to those that are in despair. It's because of your giving that this ministry can do its work. May God bless you in your giving. Thank you. Church, let's stand. We're going to send kids on up to Children's Church right now. We'll sing one more song, and Gordon's going to come back up and, and share with us this morning. Lord, I come, I Yeah. 
So here in just a few minutes, we'll have PC 101, which if you want to place membership, be sure to be at PC 101 right across the hall after, after this service. Uh, or if it's, your, it's your, if it's your first time here and you just kind of want to know more about this church, it's just coffee and conversations about the mission of this church, who we are, what it looks like to be a member here. So be sure to be there. We'll have another one here in a few months, but uh, we'd love to have you cross the hallway after this service for PC 101. Evangelism. For many believers, just the thought kind of causes a chill to go up their spine. Makes them nervous. The idea of sharing their faith. What if I don't know enough? What if I'm not gifted enough? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I ruin a relationship by starting a conversation about Jesus well, I've got some good news about sharing the good news. In the Speak Up series, we'll be addressing a lot of those fears. We'll be talking about how very naturally and effectively we can share our story and be a bridge for people to share the gospel story about Jesus with them. Uh, if you are a believer, and this is going to be foundational for what we're going to talk about this morning from John chapter 4. If you are a believer, it is very likely that it is because someone or some ones shared their faith with you. A parent or a grandparent, yeah. A co-worker, Mike, Lestarge, co-worker, right, you... I was talking with Mike a couple weeks ago. He had to do a, a wedding, and he's like, what do I do for a wedding? Well, he was performing a wedding for someone that he had a relationship with, and he had led this person to Christ, and they honored you by inviting them to be involved in that special moment. And usually it is through these relationships that the gospel travels. Almost always it is. So the Speak Up message series, we're going to be talking about sharing our story and sharing the gospel story. Our conversation starts this morning in John chapter 4. It is an encounter between Jesus and an incredibly effective and improbable evangelist who reached many people for Jesus. Um, and in this, we get, in the story, we get a chance to see how God loves using regular people. People even with a good deal of baggage sometimes to share the good news of Jesus and to impact people around them. The woman in John chapter 4 exemplifies an important truth about the gospel and it is that truth we already spoke about that it travels best when it is traveling friend to friend, neighbor to neighbor, when it's traveling through relationships. So John begins the story with an interesting statement in John chapter 4 verse 4. He's speaking about Jesus and he says, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. 
So he and his disciples, Jesus and his, his entourage, they are heading north from Judea up to Galilee. And John says they had to pass through Samaria. So the question I have is, did they? Not really. Not really. 99% of Jews wouldn't have gone through Samaria on their way from Judea up north to Galilee. There were other routes. You didn't have to. Unless you had a purpose in going through this region. A region of centuries of hatred, distrust, and hostility between Jews and Samaritans. Two people groups that did their very best to avoid contact with each other. But Jesus had to go through Samaria, according to John. And there on the outskirts of a Samaritan town, Sychar, Jesus sat down next to a well. He was thirsty. His team went into town to buy provisions. And she came out all alone. It was about noon to collect water from that well. And Jesus struck up a conversation with her. No big deal, only it is a big deal. In many ways, it was a big deal. But we'll get to that in a moment. So he just needed some water. But he knew she was thirsty for something deeper. Living water. For a relationship with God and a life that had meaning. And by the way, like I said, this was a big deal. In verse 9, she was shocked that Jesus started a conversation with her. Why? Well, men didn't talk to women that they didn't know in public. Jews certainly didn't talk to Samaritans in public. What are you doing, she says? What are, why are you asking me for a drink of water? Why are we having a conversation? Now, Jesus, interesting in this conversation, he doesn't come out swinging. He doesn't come out wagging a finger. He doesn't come out telling her all the ways that she needed to fix her life. And there was a lot wrong with her life. Instead, he just asked for a favor. Christians, um, and this is a good thing, we love to offer help. We love to serve. But I would remind us, there is great power, great door-opening power in asking for someone's help, in respecting them, honoring them, lifting them up, humbling yourself by saying, hey, I need a favor. And that's what the all-powerful Son of God, creator of heaven and earth does here. I, I need some help. Could you get me some water? I'm thirsty. Could Jesus have gotten water without her help? What do you think? Jesus, let's see, turned water into wine, walked on water, seemed to have pretty good command over the whole water situation, raised the dead, healed the sick. Uh, yeah, I think he could have gotten water on his own. 
So why ask for a cup of water? Well, it starts a conversation. And it elevates her. It gives her dignity. It says, I need something from you. There's something you can offer me. And in that simple request, centuries of cultural barrier collapses. And all of a sudden, they're talking. Now, the back and forth that followed is really interesting. Jesus wanted to invite her into the kingdom. Jesus wanted to offer her eternal life very clearly. I can offer you living water. He's offering her eternal life. That's what he wants. He wants to extend grace to her. But she was kind of cagey and nervous. This happens sometimes when we want to talk about eternal things with people. It can get a little nervous for a second. She keeps throughout the conversation trying to change the subject of the conversation. Like verse 9, why are you, a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan? Verse 20, uh, what do you think? Uh, you're you're a, a learned rabbi. What do you think? The Jews say that we are supposed to worship God in Jerusalem. We, my people, say that we're supposed to worship God here on this mountain. So what's the answer? Big theological question. Ah, someday... Verse 26, someday the Messiah will come, and I guess he'll answer all of these questions for us. But here's the thing. God opens the door for us to share the gospel with someone. And when that happens, it is quite common for unbelievers to begin asking questions. They may be sincere questions, often They're kind of decoy questions. They're kind of change the subject kind of questions. Why are there so many different denominations in the world? What if someone has never heard the gospel? Is God really going to send them to hell? What about all the awful things done in the name of religion over the centuries? And we can do what Jesus did, which is quickly address and move back to the good news straight away. Rather than ignoring someone's question, we can address it quickly, get back to the gospel. And that's what Jesus did. He turns the conversation back to the good news. The Messiah is coming someday. Well, Verse 26, what if I told you the guy you're talking to right now is the Messiah? (laughs) Know this, when we share the good news with somebody, the Lord is at work in that moment. It may not feel like it to you. It may feel awkward. It may feel exciting. Whatever, however it feels, when we're sharing the good news, the Holy Spirit is involved in that moment. It does not guarantee That someone is going to put their faith in Jesus. That one day they will have a faith response to Jesus of being baptized. It doesn't mean they're going to join a church someday. We don't know. It, It does mean the Holy Spirit is at work. And in her case, she was so convicted by this moment with Jesus. She decided he was the Savior. 
that she and her people had been waiting for. And so she drops the water jug, she turns toward town, and she sprints. And she begins telling her friends and neighbors, maybe I just found the Christ. And he's outside of town at the well. John chapter 4, 28 to 30. The woman left her water jar. She went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all I ever did. Hmm. Can this be the Christ? They all went out of the town and were coming to him. In the end, jumping forward, verse 29, or 39 rather, many Samaritans in that town, many Samaritans, listen to this, they believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's testimony, because of her. He told me all I ever did. Now this changes through the story. They believed because of her, and then they believed because of him. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. He stayed there for two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves, and we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. You were a bridge that got us to Jesus. Thank you. And now we found the Savior of the world. She got them to Jesus. Her story got them to Jesus. His story got them to salvation. Our story is the bridge. Our story is important. We need to know our story. We need to be able to tell our story. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But our story is not the destination. We are not the centerpiece of the gospel story. We share our story so that we can get around to sharing his story. You know, many Christians don't think they know enough, don't think they're qualified enough, don't think they're gifted enough. Take a look at her, right? I mean, her life was, it was a train wreck. We learn in this interchange, she had had five failed marriages and was currently shacked up with some guy. She wasn't a theologian. There's nothing that indicates she was somehow a gifted salesperson or eloquent speaker. This was not a pretty or neat evangelist here. She had a story for sure. And second, she had relationships there in town I mean, these people, they knew her. And nine times out of ten, it is through a personal relationship that the good news about Jesus travels. It's through somebody like you, somebody like me. And I bet that for most of us, when I asked you, how did you hear the gospel? It was through someone or someones. It was through a parent who read Bible stories to you when you were little or a grandparent. It was through a co-worker who invited you to church. It was through a neighbor who asked you to come across the street to their small group Bible study. It was through a chance encounter at a restaurant between a restaurant manager and some Christian folks who were eating there, or vice versa. That's how it happens. Relationships are the bridges over which the gospel most 
easily travels. Maybe it was through somebody that you were dating. 1st time I met my wife. By the way, 29 years of marriage today. This is our 29th anniversary today. Thank you. Thank her for her patience and her amazing spirit of grace. But when I met her, Amy, she was dating a guy. So I couldn't exactly invite her on a date. So I did invite her to a small group Bible study. She wasn't a Christian. I invited her to a small group Bible study. And the rest is history. So she got to know Jesus and I got a wife out of this whole thing. It was great for everybody concerned. For several years, um, our family, we were go-to, moving forward, we were go-to pet sitters for a friend named Maggie. Uh, She had five cats. And every time Maggie went out of town, we were the ones who got to take care of her beloved babies. And for the most part, pretty routine stuff. You put food out a couple of times a day, every other day, kind of clean out those litter boxes a little bit. Um, There was one hiccup, though, in the whole situation, and his name was Ernie. Um, Ernie was a cross-eyed Siamese cat with an attitude and a lot of health problems. Ernie needed his pills. From what Maggie told us, it was a life or death thing. He needed his pills. She told us, though, it was going to be easy with Ernie. You will come over. You will open the door. He will come running to you. He loves people. Not hard at all. Just kind of quickly open the jaw, push the pills in, and he'll stay there, and and you'll get to pet him, and you guys will become fast friends. Great, but it was a big deal. I mean, it was going to be a Herculean task every time we walked into that house to get Ernie his pills. It would require special forces-type skills of surveillance, of shock and awe sometimes, cunning, deception, agility, all of that. And so we'd go by to feed the cats, and yeah, four out of the five would come running to us, rubbing against our legs, meowing, wanting some attention, wanting their food. They were so sweet. Ernie would be nowhere to be found. Never did we see him when we went in that house. He went hiding, and we had to try to find him. And he was really good at hiding. I'd be embarrassed if she knew all the places we had to look for Ernie. (laughs) Under every bed, behind every armoire, behind and under the treadmill, often underneath the bed, back of a closet perhaps. So after getting all of the other cats fed, we would begin, Claudia and I, my daughter and I, would begin the search for Ernie. And when he was located, full disclosure, honesty this morning, there were days we didn't find him, so apparently the medicine wasn't life or death. Um, But when we found him, he wasn't happy to see us. He wasn't wanting any contact with us. Um, He didn't care if we called out sweetly to him or dangled treats before him. He wanted nothing to do with us. If he was hiding under the bed, we would be assaulted, would be, certainty, assaulted with sharp claws and razor-sharp teeth. So we would end up having to flush him out of whatever hiding place he was in using a broom handle. Right? And we learned 
you had to wear leather work gloves for this part of the task to protect yourself from those claws and those teeth. So one of us would be the flusher behind him, prodding with the broom handle, and the other one would be the grabber. And you would swaddle him tightly in a towel once you got him to contain all that weaponry he had. And then you would pry that jaw open, deliver that medicine, and release. And he would bolt off to another one of his hiding places. We both sustained lots of injuries throughout this process. And then, you know, on Thursday, Maggie would come back from her trip. How did everything go with the cats? Just fine. No problems. And to this day, I'm not sure who was more traumatized. I don't know if Ernie was more traumatized. I don't know if my daughter and I were more traumatized by this process. But those words still echo in my head as she turned over the keys to her house. It's easy. He loves people. You'll be fast friends. Been pet sitters for a lot of people, but never have we encountered a beast like Ernie. This is the funny thing, though. I'm certain Maggie had no trouble with Ernie. I'm certain that he ran to her and took his pills. I'm certain that it wasn't a problem for her. Why? Because she had a relationship with this cat. They knew each other. They had years together. How did the gospel spread so quickly in John chapter 4 through this incredibly imperfect, imperfect evangelist? It spread because there were relationships. How did it spread around the ancient world? In the first century, it spread through relationships, through families. The gospel went person to person as people shared their story, as they were the bridge between someone else and Jesus. The good news isn't shared through coercion or manipulation. It's shared with love in relationships, person to person, friend to friend. There are a lot of ways to share Jesus, by the way. There is not a one-size-fits-all approach to evangelism. Over time, the approaches change. That's okay. The methods change. That's okay. The message of the good news does not change. The big thing, the big thing is a willingness to let God use you in this. The big thing is, will you be available to be a witness for Jesus? The Samaritan woman was a bridge to the people that she knew, and the, the future of that village was changed as they came to meet Jesus. John chapter 1. So this is just how it works. This is normal. This is how the gospel flows. It's how it grows. It's how it spreads. John chapter 1, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So Peter's brother, Andrew, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. John the Baptist heard what John said, followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon, told him, we have found the Messiah. Sound familiar? Yeah. It's kind of what happened in John chapter 4. We have found the Messiah. So Andrew brought his brother Jesus to meet the Lord. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip 
said to him, hey, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. So Philip went to look for his friend Nathanael and told him, we found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now Nathanael's going to have his own question, Nazareth? But that's how it worked. Brother to brother, friend to friend. John tells Andrew, Andrew tells his brother Peter, Peter and Andrew from their hometown Bethsaida, there's this other guy, Philip, who shares it with Nathaniel. Relationships. For the most part, these guys through who the gospel spreads in the New Testament are just uneducated Galilean fishermen. They don't have like special training or qualifications here. Now they're going to get some training as they walk with Jesus. But here, they're just bringing people to the Lord. A final word. I think... One reason that people get so stressed out about the idea of evangelism is, with all due respect, I think we tend to overestimate the importance of our own role in this process. I really do. Like, what if I don't have the right words? You know, what if I'm asked a question that I don't know the answer to? Let's be clear about something. Don't take this personally, but evangelism is not about you. It's not dependent on your eloquence or your power of persuasion. It never has been. And it's not today. The gospel is the power of God. Okay? The gospel is the power of God, not you. Jesus is the center of the gospel story, not you, not me. Even Paul acknowledges his kind of ineptness and how God used that in sharing the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Like Paul is saying, almost, if I had been really articulate and gifted and able to weave this story that left people spellbound, it kind of takes the focus off Jesus. But instead, the Lord used somebody like me. Proving that the power is in the message that was preached. Jesus, the cross, the Savior. So it's not our brilliance, not our eloquence. We are responsible, like Paul, like the Samaritan woman, like Philip, like Andrew. We're responsible to speak up. And we are responsible to do that. Whether or not they come to Jesus, whether or not they are baptized, whether or not they join our church, that's between them and Jesus, right? That's not something you're going to decide or you can determine. It's up to them. We are responsible to speak up. Romans 1, verse 16, we'll finish here. Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Don't you love that? Everyone. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. Read that with me if you would. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. So are you ready to speak up for Jesus? This morning, 
if you're ready to cross that line of faith and trust in the name of Jesus and wear the gospel story as your story by being baptized into Jesus, you can do that today before you leave this piece of property on Preston Road and Preston Crest Lane. We would love to help you with that. We would rejoice over helping you with that. Maybe you just need prayers this morning. We'd love to pray with you, over you. Let's stand. Let's respond to God as we worship. Lord, I come, I
Gordon, thank you for reminding us this morning to make ourselves available for God to use us, because he will. Uh, thank you, John Scott. Thank you, David, for also leading our, our minds this morning in worship. We're so blessed that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. Visitors, again, thank you for being here. We really uh, appreciate you worshiping with us this morning. Again, as Gordon mentioned this morning, PC 101 is this morning. If you'd like to learn more about Preston Crest, or if you'd like to place membership with us and join this wonderful family of believers here, it'll be just across the hallway after service starting about 945. We'd love to have you join us. And remember our evening service tonight at 6 o'clock. Jacob will be continuing our series on Genesis tonight, Genesis 18, Abraham or Abram, and the three drop-in dinner guests. As we close our service this morning, uh, Nicholas Scott, one of our young men working with LTC, uh, son of Nick and Leslie Scott, will be closing our service this morning. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the to the Jew first and also to the, the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And the church said. Amen.